0: When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that in the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for God's kingdom to come to earth. And we pray that because Jesus told us to pray this. And we pray it because his kingdom is not here yet. We're praying for it to come. God's moral will is not being done on earth right now as it is being done in heaven. And that's why we say uh, "May your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His moral will is being done in heaven, but not on earth. If you need proof of that, you just need to read the news. And very quickly realize, yes, God's moral will not being done here. I just quickly glanced through some some headlines just from the end end of this week. New York Police Department, murders and rapes soaring in New York City the beginning of this year. Canadian court rules parents can't stop their 14-year-old from taking trans hormones. New Jersey teen charged with assaulting an 81 year old man because he didn't like his hat. We live in a world that is pretty messed up. This is not the way that it ought to be. How many of you would like it if the kingdom were already here? I, I hope so. Do you long for it? What I want to say is that actually there is a sense that. It is here already. So is it here? We say yes, but, but I mean no. But I mean yes, but, 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 but no. And I'll explain to you what this means. It is, uh, but it isn't. You'll see. And I think this is part of what Jesus is getting at in this section of Scripture. So let's uh, read. We're in Luke chapter 17, and we will start with... Uh, having a little trouble with the clicker here, so I don't know if that's in place. And there's some... Wait, the hum. Is it, that's not my stomach, is it? I had, should I have had more breakfast. We'll get this all worked out. You have your Bibles, so who needs a screen? All right. <clears throat> the first point is the kingdom is, in a sense, already here. So, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, "...the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you." So we have to think, what does this mean? And you know, some people can be thinking so much about the future that they're, that they're no good in the present, they 're always focused on on the future and what 's to come, and in one sense, the Pharisees were like that, uh, they were doing that. this is saying he 's talking to the Pharisees, and they were obsessed with knowing when is the kingdom going to come. They were looking for this, and they were thinking of the kingdom as, as some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of political thing that was going to happen. The Romans would be uh, wiped off and, and the Lord would would reign instead, and they viewed it primarily as this earthly physical kingdom that would be coming and we do notice here that jesus is talking to the pharisees and they also expected the kingdom to come with observable signs there would be these apocalyptic massive you know things that would happen there would be signs of this but instead jesus is teaching them he says the kingdom of god is already in their midst at least in in some sense so we have to think, what is, what is the kingdom of God? What is this that we're talking about when we say this? One theologian defined the uh, kingdom of God as God's people in God's place under God's rule. In short, we could say it's where the king reigns. It's kind of the, the realm in which the king is, is reigning. And I think there are different senses where we could say there's, there's the kingdom in Scripture, In one sense, you had the kingdom of God perfectly in Eden before the fall. I mean, you think of what life was like then. You had uh, mankind in perfect fellowship with each other, in perfect fellowship with their surroundings, with with nature, with this world, and most importantly, in perfect fellowship with God. But when mankind rebelled against that and decided that, that we knew better, than the king, that we're going to start listening to our own authority rather than his. That's when the fall happened, and that's when everything went south for humanity and for this world. And then Adam and Eve were cast out. And we're no longer, in a sense, in that, that perfect environment that they should be in. And scripture talks about this world now being kind of under the, <coughs> as a domain of darkness, under the reign of uh, of Satan. And instead of being under Christ's rule, it talks about being in Adam, where there's, where there's death and, and dysfunction. Now, at the other end, in the future, it also talks about another kingdom, which I think will be, will be a literal earthly kingdom. It talks about Christ returning. It talks about him reigning on earth for a thousand years. And then after a final battle, you know, conquering, and, and things just go on beautiful from there for eternity. So we have that, but we wonder, is there, is there some kind of legitimate, biblical, in-between form of the kingdom of God? Another question we need to ask is, well, what does this mean when it says the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or in your midst? So what Jesus said, you don't have to look, here it is or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. One option that some suggest is that, well, it it doesn't mean that it's out there. It means that the kingdom of God is in here. It's in our hearts. It's internal. It's inside of us. And I could see where we would think that because there's a sense where that is where we want God to rule. We want him to rule in our hearts. We want him to change us from the inside out. You know, as Christians, we realize that we have trusted in Christ as our Savior. He comes, he dwells within us. He is ruling and reigning over our hearts. Is this what Jesus meant, though? I think the problem with that is we have to remember the context. And who is he talking to here? He's talking to the Pharisees, and these these were not believers. They did not have Jesus ruling in their hearts. And so I think that's probably not what what he means. I think a better option, when he says the kingdom of God is in your midst, or among you, or right before you, is that he's saying that the, the kingdom of God, hey, you, you Pharisees recognize this. Uh, it, it's right in front of you because I'm here. This is Jesus talking to them and saying, if you're looking for the kingdom, realize, in a sense, it's here because the, if you realize who I am, you would realize that the king has arrived. The kingdom is here because the king has arrived. And so he carries the kingdom with him. Jesus' arrival means that the kingdom has arrived, at least in part. So he's saying to them, if you're looking for all these signs, you don't really have to look. Just look right in front of you. It's me here talking to you. Imagine it like this. Imagine that you are, you're sitting at a, at a bench in a park. You have your laptop open, and you're working away, and you're using Microsoft Word, okay, and like usual, Microsoft Word is thinking it's smarter than you, and it's trying to you know, indent where you don't want to indent and format things and all this. While you're working away, uh, this uh, man comes and he sits next to you, and he says, hi, I- I'm Bill Gates. And you say, fine, I'm g- good uh, glad to meet you, and you keep on working. He's like, what you doing? Well, I'm working on Microsoft Word here, trying to get this document to to format right and it thinks it's smarter than me and it won't cooperate. And I wish there was someone from Microsoft that I could talk to to tell about this and to tell my ex- experience. I wish I wish I could talk to someone. And Bill Gates says, oh, oh really? Um, well, I, I'm Bill Gates. That's fine, Bill. I, I'm glad to meet you, but I'm having problems here. I wish there was someone from Microsoft that I could talk to. And he might say, I'm Bill Gates. I am Microsoft. I think in a way that's what Jesus, maybe that's what he was trying to get across to the, to the Pharisees. You're looking for the kingdom. You're looking for this. Don't you realize who I am? I, I, I am the king. I, I'm the one that is, is, was promised from long ago. I'm the one that is going to sit on, on the throne of David. I'm the one that, that is going to rule. This is who I am. If you recognized who I am, you would realize the kingdom is here because, because I am here. Do you recognize the king? I mean, the Pharisees, they were looking for the kingdom, but they were ignoring the king. Are we looking for some kind of utopia on this world? Some kind of perfect thing, but we're ignoring the king, the one that needs to be the center of it all, the one that makes that happen, the one that it's, it's a kingdom because it's all about him. You can't really have a kingdom unless you have the king, unless you realize who he is. And you see, you enter the kingdom when you trust Jesus Christ as your savior. Because when you trust him, part of that is you're recognizing who he is, that he is the Lord. He is the one that is the master. And that's why our sin is bad, because he ought to command us. He deserves to have say-so over our life, and we have rebelled. We've tried to pretend that we are the king. That's what, that's what sin is. It's rebellion against God, thinking that we're the king instead of him. But when we turn in repentance, we realize I was wrong to do that. This was sinful. This was treason of me. And we turn to him and recognize he is the rightful king. And then we realize that Jesus Christ, this king loved us enough to die on the cross for you and to be raised from the dead for you so that you could be saved. So you enter the kingdom when you trust Jesus Christ, the Lord, the King, as your Savior. In Colossians, there's a great passage that talks about this. In Colossians 1, 13 through 14, it talks about Christians and says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Okay, we used to live in this dark domain, this evil world, and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So that when you're saved, you are transferred into this new kingdom. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now at this point, this is in the Gospel of Luke, the the church officially doesn't start until Acts 2, but there's a sense where we can think of the church, believers, okay, the body of Christ, as kind of an advanced outpost of God's coming kingdom that there will be a time when Jesus returns and everything will be put under his loving and just rule. But right now, most of the world is still following their own desires, following Satan, living in darkness. But believers, we are, we are ones that we've turned to God. We've acknowledged that he is our king. He is our savior. And so we're like these little, little outposts in this, in this dark world, trying to invite other people in that you could be part of this as well too. If you long to be in the kingdom, remember, the only way in is through the king. So there's one sense. We say, you've been transferred into the kingdom already, but there's another sense that in a very real way, the kingdom is yet to come. It's not here yet. We still pray, may your kingdom come. Things are not the way it ought to be. This is not the, the best life yet. This is not as good as it gets. So let's read more. Let's read, this is a longer section, Luke 22 through 37 in chapter 17. And he said to the disciples, notice that by the way, the first part, he was talking to the Pharisees. Now he's talking to the disciples. He says, the days are coming, this is future, when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man And you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out following them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, So will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So let's talk about this and and break it down. Verse 22 through 24, I think part of what he's getting at, at the core, is that the real second coming is not something that can be missed. So he's saying, if others are saying to you, well, here, well, there it is, you know, maybe the kingdom's come, Jesus has returned, and, and you missed it, you didn't realize it. And there's some in the early church that were, were claiming this, that Jesus had returned, and you just didn't realize it. Jesus is telling them in advance, don't, don't worry about that. Uh, if you think that you might have missed it, you definitely didn't, because this is not something that is missable. This is something that everyone is going to see. It's like if you, if you had lightning that went across the sky and around the world, uh, everyone is going to see this. Everyone is going to, to know. In verse 22, when it talks about the, the days of the Son of Man, Son of Man, Son of God, these are both titles of the Messiah. Son of Man especially comes from uh, the book of Daniel, talking about his return there. And so we see there, there are going to be two comings of Christ. There's one that has already happened, and there's one that is future. Talk about a a first advent and a second advent, a first coming and a second coming. One happened, one is to come. The first time, Jesus came in humility. The next time, he will come in triumph, and he will come in glory. The first time, he came to, to suffer for us, to go to the cross, to suffer and to save. But the next time when he comes, he will defeat evil. And he will rule this world with, with justice. The second coming is going to be an awesome, awesome thing. Verses that you could look to. I'll just give you the passages uh, for time here. We, we can't go through them all. In First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, it talks about when, when Christ returns, the time of the, the rapture. It says, the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of the archangel, and, the, loud, and the, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will rise first. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10, it talks about uh, the Lord returning from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, and inflicting vengeance on evil. In Revelation 19, 11 through 16, well, I'll read you this one. Then I saw heavens open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many of these crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dripped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a, a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords." And then in Revelation 20 is where it describes how Satan will be bound in the abyss, locked away so he can't have influence over the nations for a thousand years while Christ reigns literally on, on this earth. So the second coming, the real second coming, is not something that can pass us by without us noticing that, that it has happened. Once, once, he, once he returns. The verse 25 tells us though that rejection will come first that Christ still has a mission with his first coming. And his mission with his first coming is not to rule and reign. He, He came not to reign, but to be rejected. Remember, he is on his way here, journeying to Jerusalem to go to the cross because there's something he has to do to pay for our sins. The king has to suffer and die for us. Before he will rule, he must be rejected. And rejection is hard. Have you experienced rejection? I think it's one of the hardest things that we can experience. I think rejection can be harder to, to deal with than, than physical torture, than physical problems oftentimes. Jesus knows what rejection is like. He knows it beyond what we have experienced. Isn't it good to realize that you worship a Lord and Savior that also knows firsthand what it is like to experience rejection. He was rejected by us, by all of us, as he was hung on the cross to pay for our sin. So when we talk about this king coming and he's going to reign, this is a king that you can love, that you will be able to love because he loved you first. This is a king that was willing to come down and to love you enough to go to the cross for you to bear your punishment and your sin. He is a ruler and a redeemer for those who trust in Him. We need to ask ourselves when the time comes, hey, will you be ready? We don't have forever, we don't have an opportunity that just goes on and on and on and on to make ourselves ready for when He returns talking here just in the days of Noah people were they were going on and and doing their thing all of a sudden judgment came people in lots of time they're living their life living it up all of a sudden judgment comes that it's going to come suddenly and if you're not ready there's not going to be time to to prepare most people sadly they will not be ready isn't it do you ever kick yourself if you miss a deadline there's something that you're supposed to be ready for and, and you just missed it. I was, I was so mad at myself yesterday. There was, I, I had been intending for a few weeks to register for a, for a pastor's conference and other things I was busy doing and had it on my list and kept putting it off. And I finally went to register for it yesterday and noticed it said early bird deadline March 1st. So I had to pay an extra 25 bucks, And I was mad at myself for this. $25, but you missed this. I read a, another, this is a true story. A man, uh, during one of the winter storms, he goes outside and he realizes above, hanging off from his house, there's a big, giant sheet of ice. Big, thick sheet, just kind of hanging off there, looming over his wife's car. And he thinks to himself, that looks like it could fall and damage that car. I, I, I should probably move it. But at the time, he had some guests over, and he realized, well, I'd have to have a few people move the, their cars to move this one. And you know, in all these years, nothing like that has ever happened. So we'll, we'll, just, we'll deal with it a different time. We'll just let it go. So gets up in the next morning, goes outside, and the car's still fine. The sheet of ice is still hanging there, looming over. And he thinks to himself, yeah, I should, I should probably still you know, move, the, move her car, get it out of the way. And he thinks, you know what, it'll take me a few minutes to do this, and I'm kind of late for work. You know what, it'll be fine. He gets off and he leaves. His wife comes out, and she takes a look at it, and she says to herself, yeah, I, I should move the car, I should take care of this. And I'll do that right after I I go inside and and take care of the mule that I have going, something on the stove. She goes inside for a minute, crash, right through the windshield. You know, these are very small consequences. A windshield, okay, you can get that fixed. $25, big deal. These are small consequences compared to not being ready when, when judgment falls not being ready when, when the Lord returns. And this passage warns us that most people, they will be going along, just like the day, people in the days of, of Noah and Lot when judgment came, they will be enjoying life. They will be distracted by the pleasures of the world around them. I mean, we have fun things to do and we have sports and we have Netflix and all kinds of fun things and sinful things that you can do on top of that and people are going to enjoy that. They'll be distracted, they'll be busy pursuing their own things, blissfully unprepared for disaster, for judgment, for eternity when it comes. Noah and Lot, they, they lived in a depraved culture that was that was judged, and God saved them out of that judgment. But until then, they were having a really good time until it was too late. This passage teaches us too that. The love of this life and the love of the things in this life will keep many people from true life in God's kingdom. Verse 32 is one of the shortest verses in Scripture. Just remember Lot's wife. Remember what happened to her. She, She looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon, commented, she was almost... Saved, but not quite. Listen, I don't want you to be almost saved. Almost saved is not saved. You're either saved or you're not. You either have Jesus Christ, the Lord, as your Savior, and you're in his kingdom, and you're good when he returns. Or you are in danger, you are in darkness. It doesn't matter if you're right close to the edge, and you've been coming to church, and you've been doing all these things. But if you personally have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I plead with you. That's what you need to do. I plead with you that you would talk to someone in the prayer room after or even right now that you would pray and trust Jesus Christ, realizing he paid it all on the cross for you. He did everything necessary and that you would turn to him and accept him as your Savior. You don't Want to be someone on the day of judgment that is almost saved. Because to be almost saved is to be totally lost. And at the end of this passage, verses 34 through 37, we can see that you can be in the very same life situation with someone else, at least from how it looks on this level on earth, but facing a very vastly different eternal destiny. Two people with... It seems like they're living the same life. But eternity is going to be completely different for them. Let me read it again. He says, I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. And one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. And one will be taken and one left. Question. There's a few things. I'll just... In case you're wondering... You might be wondering, uh, depending what version you're reading, hey, where where is verse 36? You might have a version that's, that's missing verse 36. Remember the scripture verses were added later on by, by scholars, as they numbered them, and they did it with the, the best copies of scripture that they had at the time. And there is no verse 36 in uh, the English Standard Version and a lot of the newer uh, versions. And... Part of that was, one scholar says, that there is an impressive agreement of Alexandrian and Byzantine witnesses, so ancient copies of scripture, uh, that actually do not include this illustration. And therefore, they've determined that this probably wasn't originally in there for Luke. In Matthew's gospel, it has a little bit extra where it talks about, uh, I think it's uh, two men in a field, um, and probably someone along the way you know, kind of added it in there, thinking, well, this is supposed to be in there, but as far as we can tell, it probably wasn't when Luke wrote it, so that's why some of the translations, they've taken it out. They're not trying to remove Scripture, they're trying to say, well, in our best judgment, that probably wasn't in Luke to begin with. So, just, but it is in Matthew. Matthew 24, verse 40. Another question you could ask is, hey, are the ones being taken away are they the ones being rescued, or are they being taken away into judgment? And people have disagreement about this. Um, if they're being taken away to be saved, it might seem like this is a good description of the, the rapture. And that could be the case. However, there are many, even those who, um, who believe in the rapture and would agree with our position on this, uh, the MacArthur Study Bible and others, that don't think this is actually a description of the rapture. That instead, looking at Matthew 24 and viewing it in context, the ones being taken away or swept away like by the flood are actually the ones being taken away in judgment. So it might be a a different uh, statement that is being made here. But I would say don't miss the main point. The main point is that you have two people. One is judged and one is good. One is saved. Two people that can be doing the same thing, their life looks the same, but there's something different. And so what makes the difference on the day of judgment between you or your neighbor or the person sitting next to you in the pew isn't your social status. It's not what you look like. It's not your family. It's not your ethnicity. It's not your job. It's not uh, how, what the outside of your life looks like. It's have you entered the kingdom through Jesus Christ. Do you have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That's the only thing that really is going to make that difference. When when the judgment comes and the, the great divide between people happens, at the time of judgment, everyone will not be treated the same. Third question, we'll ask this again because it's the most important one. Are you ready? Have you by faith entered the kingdom? And again, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must enter, come through the king. Uh, Donald Barnhouse was a famous uh, pastor and well-known pastor. He told the story of a man he went to, villa, to, to visit in a Philadelphia hospital. And Dr. Barnhouse heard that the man was dying, and he knew, that the, he knew the man was not a Christian. And he wanted one last chance to explain the gospel message to this man. And even on his deathbed, this man showed no concern for his eternal destiny. And so Dr. Barnhouse decided that this situation called for, for drastic action. And he asked the man if he could stay with him in his room the night. And the man asked him why, The pastor pulled up a chair beside the bed and said to the man, he said, because I've never seen a man die without Christ. And said the man was so taken back by this, just realizing the danger he was in, facing eternity with no Savior, without Christ in his life, that God used this. And by the time the conversation was over, he had prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. You know, if you're going through life just happy and enjoying things, blissfully unprepared, I pray that, because you don't know when the end is going to come, I pray that you would not waste any time getting right with God through Jesus Christ. So as we conclude this, (laughs) the kingdom is already, in one sense, but it is also not yet in another sense. We live in this we live in the in between. The invasion has started, the decisive battle has occurred, and victory is certain, but the war rages on and has yet to come to an end. Okay? The invasion has started. That's the incarnation when Christ came to this world. The decisive battle has occurred. Jesus went to the cross. Defeating Satan, victory is certain. The resurrection, but the war rages on, and that's where we find ourselves. The yet the, it has yet to come to an end, and that'll be the return when Jesus Christ comes back for us. So right now we live in the in between. Hold on to both of these, or it creates problems. Uh, for some people, they live. Their view is the kingdom is all now. That this is this is all it is. It's it's all for this life and improving this life. And for some of them, it, it, it is all only just about the, the social gospel or only about social justice or politics or getting your best life now. And that's the mistake of viewing the kingdom as all now. We can also make the mistake of viewing it as just all future and then turning a blind eye to the work that God wants us to be doing here now. Work that, that matters and uh, legacies that we can lead, live, that we, can li- that we can let happen until he comes back. We shouldn't just be waiting it out until the rapture comes. We need to have a biblical focus already, but not yet. Don't be so obsessed with the future that you miss the present and what God wants you doing now. And don't be so obsessed with the present that you forget about the future because our future hope should motivate our present work. So let's keep working for our king until he comes. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we confess you as our king. We confess you as the one that rules over us, that you rule over your church, Lord God, and we thank you for that. We do not deserve to be part of your kingdom. We do not be, we do not deserve for you to go to the cross and for you to call us out of the kingdom of darkness and to The domain of darkness into the kingdom of of the sun. But we thank you for that. We thank you for this, uh, the foretaste of what is yet to come. Lord God, we thank you that this is not as good as it gets because we still live in a world of great injustice. We still live in a world that is not right. Help us to do what we can in this time to call other people into right relationship with you as their savior and their king. Help us to do what we can to live our lives with you genuinely as both our redeemer and our ruler and help us to long for your return when you will come and you will set things right. The one that returns and rules, realizing you're also the one that died on the cross because of your great love. We love you, our king. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.